Hello, everybody. This is Patrick Ridger with Transamerica, and welcome to another edition of Market Pulse, where once again we're joined by Transamerica Asset Management Chief Investment Officer Tom Wald. Hello, Tom. Hello, Patrick. Now, Tom, you've just published a piece reviewing the recent Federal Reserve meeting and overall interest rate environment. And at the beginning of this piece, you make a pretty direct judgment. And I'll go ahead and quote it here directly. You say, the Fed has left the door wide open for a pause on raising rates at the upcoming June meeting and a potential conclusion to the current tightening cycle. So I guess the first question I have for you, Tom, is why do you think that? Well, Patrick, just for quick background, going back to the beginning of the year in our 2023 market outlook, we have been in the camp that the Fed was likely to get to a lower bound in the Fed funds target range of 5%, which they did at this most recent May meeting, and then step back from there and let this past year's 500 basis points of rate hikes filter through the economy. Now, when it comes to Fed statements, uh, at the risk of using an overused cliche, uh, words matter. And, and that's why immediately after Fed meetings, you often hear pundits in the financial media parsing through changes in specific wording of the Fed statement, sort of like a, a college literature professor grading a term paper. And, <laughs> yes, and in good. this case, there was instant attention given to wording that changed from the committee anticipates that some additional policy firming may be appropriate, which was used in the previous statement. Uh, following the March meeting, two, in determining the extent to which additional policy firming may be appropriate in this most recent statement. Mm -hmm. uh, then at Chair Powell's post-meeting uh, press conference, while he did say a decision on a pause was not made, he also made a specific point uh, to call out the change in the statement language I just mentioned and referred to it as a quote-unquote meaningful change. Now, I don't want to overplay specific word changes here too much, but in this case, I would view this as a bit of a confirmatory signal that the Fed is prepared to act, or, or actually, <laughs> perhaps I should say not act, uh -huh. <laughs> in uh -huh. terms of this upcoming June meeting. And, and that would be consistent with what we have, have thought they might do and what makes sense under these current uh, economic conditions which would be to take at least a pause on raising rates and perhaps then turn the longer term page to ending this current rate hike tightening cycle. And of course, Patrick, rate hikes do not have instantaneous impacts on the economy. They work under lagging effects that in a best guess are anywhere from six months to a year. So there is a big buildup here of rate hikes that have not fully filtered through the economy. And I think the Fed could and probably should let those higher rates ride out before taking any further action. So that now takes me to another question. Perhaps what you have just described is what you think the Fed should do, but is it what they will do? Yes, good question, Patrick. There is a lot of pontificating in the investment world and in the financial media about, just as you said, what the Fed should do, but ultimately markets can only react to what they actually do or what it appears they're likely to do, which is always a bit of a behavioral finance question. 
But here, I think the odds favor at least a pause at the upcoming June meeting. And from there, the question will be, is it just a pause or an end, or an end to this cycle? And there is per a percolating question from there uh, that has also been bubbling up to the service in a big way, which is if that does turn out to be the case, when might they begin actually cutting rates? And uh, there is quite an interesting debate about that as well. Okay, so a good bit to unpack here. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Let's start with the notion of a pause on raising rates in June. What might be the Fed's rationale on this? Uh, a few things. I'll start with the inflation trends. I think there is now pretty solid evidence that inflation peaked last June uh, when the headline consumer price index, or CPI, exceeded 9% on an annualized basis and, and the personal consumption expenditures index uh, reached uh, 7%. Um, core. Uh, Ex-food and energy CPI looks like it peaked last September at 6.6% and core PCE at 5.4% in February of 2022. Since then, headline CPI and PCE, as of their most recent April and March readings, have come down to 4.9% and 4.2% respectively. Now, obviously, the decline in energy prices has played a big part uh, in those headline numbers. But even so, core CPI and core PCE also... Uh, as of their most uh, recent April and March readings, have come down to 5.5% and 4.6% respectively. So, so, Patrick, I think there is enough here for the Fed to recognize a declining inflationary trend that will likely continue even without uh, further raising rates. Uh, as those lagging effects of this past year and a half, uh, i.e. 500 basis points of increases on the Fed funds rate, continues to impact aggregate demand. Also, uh, just as a quick aside, we are expecting core rates of inflation on CPI and PCE to mitigate toward 4% or lower by, by the end of this year. So from a purely fighting inflation point of view, which is, of course, why the Fed began raising rates uh, back in March of last year, I think there's enough here to warrant a pause next month, particularly in light of some of the other matters going on in the economy. Okay, so what else beside the inflation numbers do you think would influence the Fed toward no action on rates at the June meeting? Uh, well, the first would be the regional bank turmoil of the past couple of months. The, the okay. three bank failures at Silicon Valley, Signature, and First uh, Republic Banks, all of which had to go into government receivership. Uh, now, there is an old saying that when the Fed starts tightening and raising rates, often uh, they do it until, quote unquote, something breaks. And here, uh, something has now clearly broke. Now, uh, clearly, in my view, most of the blame for this breakage resides with the management of these banks themselves. Uh, but the larger point here is that these banks failed, uh, and others could be at risk of failing going forward, in large part because the Fed raised rates so much and, and pushed their longer-term bond portfolios into losses uh, that were unable to cover deposit or withdrawals. Now, again, should the managements of these banks have seen this and adjusted their bond portfolios to compensate for that risk? Absolutely. Huh. So I'm not pinning these bank failures on the Fed by any means. Mm -hmm. But the reality is this situation broke during this Fed rate hike cycle. And again, Patrick, uh, it is uh, not our opinion that the banking environment right now is anything akin to 2008 from a systemic perspective. 
But I think one of the immediate results of these bank collapses will probably be stricter and tighter credit conditions in the economy stemming uh, from pretty much all banks implementing more stringent lending policies in light of these failures. And all else being equal, I think that increases the probability of a recession beginning by year end. And the Fed is likely, in my view, to take that into account in terms of their decisions at future meetings. And then finally, Patrick, I think we are seeing some inherent slowing in the economy. The Bureau of Economic Analysis first advanced estimate on gross domestic product or GDP for the first quarter came in at an annualized growth of just 1.1% down from 3.2% and 2.6% in the third and fourth quarters of 2022. We had a non-farms payroll number for April that while beating expectations at 253,000 new jobs added to the economy, also included downward revisions of 149,000 for February and March combined. So the three-month average for new jobs as of the end of April has declined by more than 100,000 versus the three-month average before that period. And the six-month average as of the end of April has declined by about 150,000 jobs versus the six-month average before that period. Now, Tom, I believe you said in some of your other recent commentary, and I'm paraphrasing here, that those measures you just talked about are coincident or perhaps even lagging economic indicators, but that leading economic indicators are telling an even more recessionary story. Yes, and there are two in particular I'd point to here. The first is the conference board's leading economic index, which is a compilation of 10 economic consumer and market metrics, all with a long history of turning negative prior to overall economic downturns. Uh, These include measures such as uh, manufacturing orders, manufacturing hours work, building permits, initial jobless claims, consumer credit, consumer expectations, stock prices, and, and the treasury bond yield curve. And in aggregate, these leading indicators as an index have declined cumulatively more than 7% since March of last year. Uh, Simply put, over the last 50 years, this index has never fallen by this amount without a recession to follow in the upcoming year. And the second is the three-month to 10-year Treasury bond yield curve, which has been inverted since last October, meaning that short-term rates are yielding higher uh, than long-term rates and are now doing so uh, by the widest margin uh, since 1981, and on a percentage of yield basis, the widest step. Uh, Since 1969, inverted three-month to 10-year yield curves have batted eight for eight on forecasting recessions within about a year and a half or so of their initial inversion. So the Fed, of course, always calls themselves data-dependent in terms of what they are actually seeing in the economy. But I have to think these leading indicators and signals uh, have to be on their minds as well. Now, one more point here, Patrick. Going back to last year, we have been pretty consistent in saying the Fed was ready to incur a moderate recession to ensure that inflation could be mitigated and brought to more manageable and less threatening levels. And that is pretty much the track we seem to be on right now, in my judgment. I think inflation is on its way to sub 4% core rates uh, by the end of the year. And by then, I think we will probably be, probably begin 
a moderate recession. And I would define a moderate recession as lasting a year or less with one to two percent in uh, GDP contraction off of peak levels similar uh, to the downturns we experienced uh, beginning in 1990-2001. But at this point right now, with inflation looking like it is on a declining path, the economy showing signs of slowing, leading it uh, indicators and signals flashing a bright red uh, warnings, and the recent bank failures likely to impact credit condition. How much further does the Fed want to go in potentially risking a more severe recession, perhaps the type lasting more than a year with peak to trough GDP declines uh, in, in the 3% or higher range, more similar to worse downturns such as in 1981 or 2007? And my feeling on that is, Probably not much further or even any further at all. So, Tom, obviously a lot of moving parts here. But in terms of the June meeting, are, are you thinking just a pause or potentially the end of the tightening cycle altogether, as in no more rate hikes? Uh, yes. Based on what we know right now, I would lean toward the cycle concluding and no more rate hikes in 2023. Based on inflation mitigating, economy slowing, recession warning signals, and the incremental spillover into the economy from a stricter credit environment following the recent bank failures. And a moderate recession beginning by year end? Yes, a moderate recession along the lines of what I would describe as less than a year with peak to trough GDP declines uh, in the 1% to 2% range beginning uh, by the end of this year. Okay, next question. In light of all of this, what do you think of the prospect that the Fed cuts interest rates later this year? Okay, now this is where uh, we could be on a different page than, than a lot of others out there. Okay. Clearly, there is a strong market consensus, and this is reflected in the trading and market pricing of Fed funds futures. That the Fed will almost immediately, following an end of raising rates, then begin cutting rates as in, a couple or three times uh, by year end. Patrick, I just don't see that. Right. I may be in the minority, but I just do not see it, especially with inflation still above the Fed's long-term target of 2% and only a moderate recession in the works. This battle the Fed has been fighting against inflation since early last year, combined with the magnitude by which they were initially wrong at the outset. Remember, they were probably anywhere from six months to a year late in raising rates after inflation heated up way back at the beginning of 2021. Headline CPI hit 5% in May 2021, and they didn't get their first rate hike in the books until March 2022. So yeah. given that backdrop, I just don't see how they can start cutting rates anytime before the end of the year unless the economy declines a, a lot worse and a lot faster than I think will be the case. So I am comfortably... Uh, in the minority here, that the Fed will not be cutting rates this year. Okay, Tom, now to wrap up, what might you tell our listeners about opportunities and or risks in the stock and bond markets, you know, based on everything we've talked about over the past few minutes? Well, I, I would begin with opportunities in stocks. I think okay. there's a good chance stocks can do well in the year ahead, perhaps along the line of, of double-digit uh, returns uh, based in some part on this rate hike uh, cycle coming to a close. History tends to support this, as seen in the years following uh, what I would consider to be previously comparable tightening cycles, concluding in uh, February 1995 and December of 2018. 
Uh, and for fixed income, I, I want to go back to the inverted yield curve I mentioned a few minutes ago. I think there are really strong opportunities for both short and intermediate term investment grade and high yield corporate bonds, which are now yielding about two times uh, where they were before the tightening cycle began about a year and a half ago, uh, and also uh, are yielding higher than long-term bonds in the risk categories with less interest rate-oriented price risk. Higher yields at the short end of the curve with less interest rate risk is the type of anomaly we'd only see during an inverted yield curve, and one I think uh, fixed income investors should strongly consider. And on the flip side, I think longer-term bonds have a less attractive risk-reward profile in this inverted yield curve. Uh, in addition to the fact that an inverted uh, three-month to 10-year Treasury yield curve has preceded every recession since 1969, history also includes all of those yield curves reverting to an upward slope during each of those forthcoming eight recessions. Mm -hmm. uh, now, there are three ways in which a yield curve reverts from inverted to upward sloping. Short-term rates decline, long-term rates rise, or some combination of the two. But if you are in the camp that in order to fully combat the longer-term pace of inflation and get it back to the Fed's long-term target of 2%, and that the Fed will be unlikely to cut rates anytime soon, then that means the odds favor the curve steepening via long-term rates rising, which, of course, would put longer maturity bonds more at risk of rate-related price declines. So that's one more reason we favor short to intermediate uh, term investment grade and high yield uh, corporate bonds. Okay, Tom, I think that just about wraps things up for today. Uh, once again, great insights <laughs> and background about the current markets. And in this case, how they could be impacted by this most recent and future Federal Reserve meetings. Thank you again, Tom, and we'll look forward to our next conversation. Thank you, Patrick. Uh, I'll look forward to it as well. Investments are subject to market risk, including the loss of principal. Asset classes or investment strategies described may not be suitable for all investors. Past performance does not guarantee future results. The information included in this podcast should not be construed as investment advice or a recommendation for the purchase or sale of any security. This material contains general information only on investment matters. It should not be considered as a comprehensive statement on any matter and should not be relied upon as such. The information does not take into account any investor's investment objectives, particular needs, or financial situation. The value of any investment may fluctuate. This information has been developed by Transamerica Asset Management Incorporated and may incorporate third-party data, text, images, and other content to be deemed reliable. Comments and general market-related projections are based on information available at the time of writing and believed to be accurate, are for informational purposes only, are not intended as individual or specific advice, may not represent the opinions of the entire firm, and may not be relied upon for future investing. Investors are advised to consult with their investment professional about their specific financial needs and goals before making any investment decisions. The COVID-19 pandemic has caused substantial market disruption and dislocation around the world, including the U.S. Economies and financial markets throughout the world are increasingly interconnected. Economic, financial, or political events, trading and tariff arrangements, terrorism, technology and data interruptions, natural disasters, and other circumstances in one or more countries or regions could be highly disruptive to and have profound impacts on global economies or markets. Fixed income investing is subject to credit rate risk, interest rate risk, and inflation risk. Credit risk is the risk that the issuer of a bond won't meet their payments. Inflation risk is the risk that inflation could outpace a bond's interest income. Interest rate risk is the risk that fluctuations in interest rates will affect the price of a bond. Investing in floating rate loans may be subject to greater volatility and increased risks. Equities are subject to market risk, meaning that stock prices in general may decline over short or extended periods of time. 
Investments in global and or international markets involve risks not associated with U.S. markets, such as currency fluctuations, adverse social and political developments, and the relatively small size and lesser liquidity of some markets. These risks may be greater in emerging markets. Transamerica Asset Management Incorporated is an SEC-registered investment advisor. The funds advised and sponsored by Transamerica Asset Management Incorporated include Transamerica Funds, Transamerica Series Trust, and Delta Shares Exchange Traded Funds. Transamerica Asset Management Incorporated is an indirect, wholly-owned subsidiary of Aegon NV, an international life insurance, pension, and asset management company. 289-5554.